Last week, we asked the question, how do you love a person that's hurt you? And they didn't just hurt you once, they actually continue to hurt you. What's the goal? What's the target for that kind of relationship? And if you were here, we saw that the Bible is pretty clear on this topic. As Christians, we're, we're called to restore other people. As much as we like to judge them, that's not what we're called to do. As much as sometimes we would like just to write them out of our life and ignore them, that's not what we're called to do. Sometimes as much as we would like to punish them for what they've done, that, as Christians, that's not what we're called to do. The goal is always restoration. And let's be honest, that sounds great in theory. But based on my emails and passing conversations over this past week, I know that many of you walked out of here last weekend uh, with more questions than answers. And, and this seems to be the biggest question. Okay, Mike, I've got this person in my life. They, they've kind of gone outside the bounds of Christian behavior. They've done some things that are inappropriate. They really, really hurt me. But what if they don't want to be restored? What if they're not interested in it? For example, what about the prodigal child who says, these are my friends, these are my habits, this is my lifestyle, this is what I'm going to do, deal with it. I'm not changing. As a parent, how do you handle a situation like that? You know? What do you do with a spouse? You know they're cheating on you, but they act like nothing is going on. What do you do with a business partner, a Christian business partner? Maybe you started a business together, but now they're doing things that are unethical, but they have no interest in changing whatsoever. How do you handle that situation? Or maybe, maybe you went to college and, and, you, and you found a roommate, and maybe a couple of girls, you got an apartment together, and uh, you're both Christians, so you, can't, you, you, know, you came up with an agreement or a contract, what it's going to be like to live in the apartment. And maybe one of the things was there'll be no boys staying over, you know what I'm saying? No hanky-panky going on, but you wake up every morning and uh, your, your roommate's boyfriend's sneaking out of the apartment in his underwear. I mean, how, how do you love that person? How do you handle a situation like that? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about this weekend. But before I give you the biblical principle, I need to say some things. Because if I don't say some things, some of you are going to take this uh, out of balance. You're going to take it out of context. Because the principle that we're going to be talking about over the next few minutes, I'm going to be honest with you, this is a principle that some Christians really, really like. In fact, uh, I've been around you. I know how you roll. Some of you, for years, you've used this as a club. And uh, it's one of the reasons that we kind of have the reputation that we have in society. So let me make sure the context of the principle is very clear. This principle that we're going to be looking at over the next few minutes in no way counteracts what we've learned in this series. It, it no way counteracts what we learned last time. The goal in every relationship is always restoration. And the goal, the tool that God is always going to use in this process of restoration is acceptance not rejection. None of that has changed. So it's, it's, it's not a, a, a means of, of um, getting around restoration. The goal is always going to be restoration. So whatever you think you've heard when you walk out of here today, the goal is restoration. It's not a way to get around restoration. It's not a way of punishing somebody, uh, maybe for what they did to you in the past. This is a principle that has to do with restoration. Have I made that clear? Okay, I think we're all on the same page. Here's the issue. How do you respond in a relationship where the person isn't interested in being restored. In other words, maybe you, you went out, you charged out of last weekend's message and you went to this person who's hurt you and maybe, maybe you know, their life has kind of spiraled out of control and, and you go to them and you say, listen, how can I help you? And their response is, I don't want your help. I'm perfectly happy doing what I'm doing, deal with it. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, I'm gonna give you five, five options how you handle that situation. And, and uh, depending on your personality, uh, depending on your life experiences, depending on your upbringing, you flow in one of these five directions. Four of these options are disastrous, but one 
is the option that God wants us to use when it comes to handling these kinds of tough relationships. Let me just give you the options and then we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit. Maybe you want to write these down this, first, this week. Here's option number one. You can just ignore it. You can just pretend it's not going on. Jesus, uh, he addresses this option specifically on two different occasions. The first one is in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. You don't need to go tell your best friend what they did. You don't need to go share it with your small group. You go directly to that person. And Jesus says this, that if they listen to you, you've won them over. And that should be the end of it. Another time, Luke 17, 3, Jesus says this, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And that's a pretty strong word. This is the same word uh, where Jesus rebuked the storm. And, and I don't think when Jesus spoke to the wind, I don't think he said, hey, uh, hey, wind, could you hold it down? I, I don't think it was like that. I think it's like, hey, wind, stop it. You know, don't make me come out there. I, I think it was something more like that, right? So Luke 17, 3 says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, strong word, and if they repent, forgive them, end of story. In other words, when someone colors outside the lines, our responsibility as Christians is not just to ignore it. Our responsibility is to confront it. And some of you are like, of course, of course you confront it because that's what you love to do. You just love to confront people. That's the way you're wired, right? But then there's some people here like me and you realize I got to confront somebody. I'm like Mr. Bill. Oh, no. I mean, I, I, I just don't want to deal with it, right? But Jesus says we can't ignore sin. We can't ignore disobedience in the life of a person that we're in a relationship with. So option number one, ignore it. That's not really an option. Option number two, you can withdraw. And I think for a lot of us, this is very common. You know, you don't want to say anything, so you just disappear. When they call you on the cell phone, you don't take the call. When they text you, you don't return the text, you know. Maybe you're that roommate and you move, you move out of the apartment, but instead of telling him why you're moving out of the apartment, you say, I'm moving out, you leave a note that says, I, I, I'm moving out because the rent was too high, right? In other words, you kind of just disappear into the woodwork. The problem is when you do this, you're treating that person, you may not realize it, but you're treating that person very disrespectfully. In a lot of ways, it's actually rejection, and it certainly won't lead to restoration because you're going to run into that person eventually, right? And when you run into that person, maybe it's at Bojangles or maybe it's at the mall, you know, all of a sudden, you're face-to-face -face with them. you got to make stuff up. And so you end up pretending. And you can't love someone and pretend at the same time. I mean, I, I think it's tempting, and without a doubt, all of us have done it at some time in our life. But you got to remember, the goal is restoration. The goal isn't just to get by. And as long as you're in a pretend mode with somebody, you can't love them because love isn't about pretend. Love is about, this is what you've done. These are the facts. Now let's deal with it so we can move forward in our relationship. So you can't ignore it. You can't withdraw. That's not the answer. Here's option number three. Just confront. Just confront. And this, 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 this is an attitude that says, I'm not going anywhere. But I promise you this. Every time you come home, I'm going to remind you of what you're doing wrong. I'm going to continue confront, 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 because the Bible says confront. Jesus says confront. So I'm going to confront. Now, here's the problem with that approach. When you do that, eventually the situation, the environment is going to become very, very combative. In fact, I've never heard this story. I confronted him and confronted him and confronted him and confronted him and confronted him. And finally one day he broke down and changed. In fact, he thanked me for confronting him for all the years that I was confronting him. And now we're best friends. I have never, ever heard that story. And it's because confrontation in itself ends up being rejection as well. Here's option number four. Confront and abandon. 
And this is the wrong option because this is often a way to get even. This is often a way to pay somebody back, to retaliate, to get some revenge. It's kind of like, I'm just going to unload on you, and then I'm out of here. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You know, you rejected me, I'm going to reject you. I'm going to teach you a lesson. You're going to miss me when I'm gone. You're going to miss me by my walk. You're going to miss me by my talk. You're going to miss me when I'm gone, right? But it's generally, when you think about it, it's a way to get back. It's a way to hurt the other person. Now, I'm going to give you a relational principle that you maybe have never heard before, but you need to understand it, and I would even encourage you to write it down. The principle is this. As an adult, it is never your responsibility to punish another adult. Now, I'm not talking about in the legal system or as it relates to law or, or someone does something, a terrorist does something against our country and we have to retaliate. I'm not talking about in a situation like that. I'm talking about in a relationship, relationally. It is never, as an adult, your responsibility to punish another adult. So when you say something or you have an attitude that says, I'll show you, understand, you've crossed the line. And you can pretty much kiss restoration goodbye. As an adult, it's never your responsibility to punish another adult. Let me show you what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He said this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. And leave room for God to work. It is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, understand when it comes to getting even, when it comes to vengeance, when it comes to punishment, that's God's job. And when we decide that we're going to teach another adult a lesson because of what they've done to us, we're basically saying this, God, you're too slow. And I'm not really sure you would handle it the right way anyway. So God, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get engaged. I'm going to handle this situation. I'm going to teach them a lesson. But you know what happens in any area of life, not just relationships, do you know what happens in any area of life when we take responsibility for what God is responsible for? You know what God does because he's given us some free will. God doesn't stop us. God just sits back and watches as we make fools of ourselves. For example, if you say, God, I do not need you in my marriage. Yeah, I heard everything Mike said and that he said, she said, serious. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying those precepts. I'm not buying those principles. I'm going to do marriage my way. You know what God says? Fine. <laughs> Go right ahead. Let me know how that works out for you, right? Or maybe you're a parent and you say, you know what? I'm going to raise my children the way I think I ought to raise my children. I don't really care what the Bible says. I don't really care what Mike says. I don't care what that Kid City staff, staff says about I need to grow as a parent and develop as a parent and do certain things with my children as a parent. I need to change my priorities so I can make sure that spiritually they're being fed and spiritually that they're growing and knowing how to walk the walk. I don't have time for that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to raise my children. I've read Dr. Spock. I'm doing it my way. And God says, okay, fine. Have at it. Or maybe you're single. God, I'm single and I don't need you. I found ChristianSingles.com. That that's the answer, God. And I'll check in occasionally, you know. But if I need to sleep with them to keep them, you know, I, God, I'm going to do it my way. And God's like, well, go ahead and do it, you know. He doesn't stop us. You know what he does? He lets us crash. In the same way, when we decide to punish one, someone, God says, hey, you want to take matters into your own hands? I'll just, I'll just kind of step out of the way. So just remember, whenever you move into a situation 
and you decide, forget it, God, I'm going to teach them a lesson. What you've done is you've taken away God's opportunity to work. You've taken God out of the equation. And God's like, why are you doing that? That's my job. That's my responsibility. So never, ever do something with the intent of punishing an adult or teaching an adult a lesson. That's not your job. That's God's job. So option number four is not a reality. Option number five is the option that the Bible highly recommends. Look what it says. It says, confront and step back. Confront and step back. It's this idea of engage and then disengage. Now, Paul wrote a letter to a little church in the city of Thessalonica, and there's an issue that's going on, and he, he gives us some insight to what this looks like. If you have your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. For many of you, you'll never find it anyway, so just, just kind of look up on the, on the side screen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. It says this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's writing, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. By the way, this word idle doesn't mean what we think it means. We think idle means lazy, you know, wasting time, playing video games all day with nothing to do. It doesn't mean that. It means you're out of step. It means that you're out of kilter. This is a ter term that was used uh, in the first century. It was a military term to describe someone who was marching out of sync. They were marching out of step. And so Paul goes on in verse 11 to give us more context as to what's going on. He says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not, I love this phrase, they are not busy, they are busybodies. You know any Christians that are busybodies? You know, just got their nose in everybody else's business? That's a whole other series. We'll look at that some other time. But they got the busybodies here. He says this, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the food they eat. Now what's going on? This is what's going on. Because of the poverty that these first century Christians were living in, they were basically sharing everything together. They would work together. They would maybe grow some food, some crops, but they would bring it all together because there was so much poverty. It's a beautiful picture when you think about it. But there were some people in the church, they had decided to take advantage of the situation, advantage of the system. So in, in other words, instead of working, pulling their fair share of the load, bringing something to the table, there were a lot of Christians in this church that were just showing up and letting everybody else take care of their needs. In other words, this may come as a shock to you, there were some freeloaders in this church. Now don't laugh too hard because there are freeloaders in every church. There are freeloaders in this church. I mean, some of you absolutely love the ministry of Kid City. Kid City Live, what it's doing in the lives of your children, but you would never think of serving and giving back to someone else. You're a freeloader. I mean, in a Christian way. God bless you. Bless your heart. Um, <laughs> I mean, you love the staff we have here. You love the technology. You love you can come to a service like this, but you would never think of, of sacrificing your own finances to contribute to make sure that what we're doing here locally and globally to increase God's kingdom, that, that it could continue to expand. In a, in a lot of ways, you're you freeloaders. There were freeloaders in this community. They weren't in step, just like you're not in step. You're not in sync. Jesus says serve. He says give. You're not in sync with the teachings of Jesus. They were taking advantage of the generosity of others. Some of you may be doing that too, right? So Paul says, you need to stay away from these freeloaders because they're idle. They're out of step. They're out of sync. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Verse 15, verse 14. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Now, here's the restorations part. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them. So here's the confrontation part. Warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now, all of that's been introduction. Here's the principle. 
There often comes a time in relationships with people we love. If that person chooses a way of life that's outside the boundaries of what is right in terms of our faith, in terms of our values, there comes a time to step away and change the nature of the relationship. And if need be, Paul says, not associate with that person at all. And this is where you have to be careful because some of you, maybe you're in an unhappy marriage and and he's not doing what you think he should be doing and she's not doing what you think she should be doing. And so you're thinking right now, now I've even got a verse. I'm getting out of this relationship. When you begin to think that way, be very, very careful because Paul says, remember, they're not an enemy. He describes them as a brother and a sister. He says, there's a relationship here. They're not an enemy. And the goal isn't alienation. No, what's the goal? It's restoration. So this is what I want you to hear. In relationships where someone has hurt you, in other words, there's pain in that relationship, there's dysfunction in that relationship because that person has gone outside the bounds of Christian behavior. And they've made a choice. And their attitude is, it's just the way it's going to be. I'm not changing. Deal with it. Yeah, I may have some problems, but I'm not going to deal with it. You deal with it. So you're at this standoff. You're not getting anywhere. Paul says, understand, it is perfectly appropriate and sometimes even advisable to redraw the boundaries, to redefine the relationship. Why would you do that? Two big reasons. One of the reasons is because once that person is excluded from the relationship, often that person's restoration is accelerated. Sensing the loneliness, sometimes maybe the shame, Paul says maybe there'll be a shame, they decide they want to get their act together. And part of the reason is when you separate, what you're basically saying is if this is what you want to do, do it and, and, and have at it, you know. And so they get a big dose of whatever they're into. And eventually what may happen is they hit rock bottom and they'll hit rock bottom without you there softening the blow. So the first reason is it may actually speed up the person's desire to get their act together. And, and in fact, this may prevent you if you're enabling someone to stop enabling But there's a second reason, maybe even more importantly. From stepping back, you protect yourself from one, getting dragged into the same sin, and two, being so close to the situation that your anger and your your frustration level, it's always at such a peak, you can't think straight. And you continue to do things and say things that you know you shouldn't do and you know you shouldn't say. And you continue to make decisions that you know you shouldn't make. But you're caught up in this toxic environment and you're in, you're in such turmoil, you can't even think straight. So Paul says, I want to remind you, the goal is restoration. Therefore, sometimes as a restorer, you got to get stabilized. And that means that you have to confront, step back gain some space, get some margin, ask God to bring healing, allow God to help you deal with your anger, deal with your frustration, deal with your hurt. And then, in due time, if God is so gracious, look for an opportunity to restore that person and restore the relationship. Now let me just stress, this isn't an excuse to abandon a relationship. This is a necessary step sometimes to come to terms with what you've been through in order to prepare you to be in a position to restore that person first back to God and then back to you. In fact, let me just boil it down to three simple steps. Confront. Don't ignore it. Don't hide from it. 
Don't run from it. You've got to confront it. Second, step back. In other words, you, you may have to redefine the relationship. And when you get to this step, you're probably going to need some help. Maybe you'll need to see a counselor. Maybe you'll need to see a pastor. Maybe you'll need to talk to your small group leader. Be careful about best friends because they're not always great counselors. They may just automatically take your side and not give you really real clear advice, biblical advice about what you should do. But if this is a marriage, this is so sticky. If this involves a parent and a child, this is so sticky. It can be incredibly complicated. But sometimes you have to get some space. You got to step back and understand this isn't an unloving thing. It's not an unchristian thing. It's, it's part of restoration. And then the third step is after you, you create that space and step back, keep looking for signs of brokenness. Why? Because you're a restorer. You're not, a, you're not an abandoner. You're a restorer. You know where we get a beautiful picture of this? It's one of our favorite stories, the prodigal son. You remember the young son came to his dad one day and he said, Dad, I want everything that's due me. I want my part of the inheritance. And I always think it's interesting. He says, man, I want to go to a foreign land. Basically, I want to do things. I want to see the world. I want to sow my wild oats. I want to live out from under your authority is what he was saying. And what's interesting is the father doesn't try to convince him, manipulate him, or control him. He says, if that's where your heart's pulling you, if that's where you're going, I'm going to give you inheritance. What did he do? He created some space. He redefined the relationship. But if you've read the story, you know there's an interesting part in there where it said that every day the father would go and he'd look down the road thinking, is this going to be the day that my son comes home? What's he doing? He's watching for brokenness. He's waiting to see, is there going to be an opportunity to restore it? And sure enough, what happened? That young boy, he ran out of his money, he wasted his money, he squandered it, he ends up in a pigsty eating food that was left over from the pigs, and one day it says he came to his senses. I love that because you know what it means when you're deliberately running away from God? You're temporarily insane as a believer, to be honest. It says he came to his senses and he thought, man, my servants eat better than this. My servants live, my dead servants live better than this. And he started working up a, a speech. I'm going to go home to the Father and this is what I'm going to say. And he starts home. So one day, the dad goes to the end of the road, and he looks, and he sees, sure enough, the gaunt silhouette of his son making his way down the road. And it's interesting. He ran to him. That's interesting because Jewish men in the first century, they didn't run. And it says he grabbed him, and he kissed him all over. They didn't kiss either. And it says, get a robe, get a ring. That's like a credit card in those days. That's good living. Get some shoes, put, the, put some shoes on this boy's feet, kill the fatty calf, we're going to have a party. He's home, and he restored him. That's really what this is about. Now, <laughs> if you're here and you're new to hope, or maybe this is your first time to hope, this is what you're thinking. I'm sure I want to go to this church. First time I screw up, somebody's going to jump out from behind the bush and say, yeah, gotcha, caught you red-handed. You're going to drag me before the church and vote me out. You know, not what I'm talking about. This has nothing to do with the natural progression of growing as a Christian. We deal with our sins. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. Sometimes for us it's, it's two steps forward, three steps back. I'm not talking about that. This has nothing to do with falling into temptation. This has nothing to do with making mistakes or bad decisions. This is about a person who knows better, knows what to do, but they just decide, I don't want to do the right thing anymore. 
But do you know what else this is about? When you think about it, it's about treating people with dignity. This is about relationships that are driven by honesty. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? You start with a lie, you end with a lie. This is about relationships that are driven by, this, this, this is about a strategy to keep people from self-destructive behavior. Let me try to explain it this way, then I'll shut up. Think about the dumbest decision you've ever made. Some of you are going to have to sort through. Okay, no, that's not really it. It could be this one. No, it probably was this one. Think about the dumbest decision you've ever made. It's the one, it's the one that you would do anything, pay any price to go back and undo. It's the one you pray no one ever discovers, okay? Maybe you should have never married that guy. Maybe you should have never asked her out. Maybe it's, I should have never stopped at that bar. Maybe it's, I should have never taken that first drag. Can anybody not think of one? If you can't think of one, do not come back to this church because you are too good for us. We will mess you up. We'll mess you up. No, we can all think of something, right? Now, I want you to imagine that right before you made that decision, a friend came up to you and said, you know what? Maybe it's none of my business, but I think you're making a huge mistake. Please, please don't do this. But you went right out and did it anyway. And let's say because of that decision, you really did crash and burn. Now imagine that very same person who came to you before you crashed and burned and said, please don't do this. Imagine that very same person coming back to you and saying, how can I help you? Even though you ignored my advice, how can I help you? How can I get up under the burden of your sin and help you move forward? That's what we're talking about. And just so you know, that's the gospel right there, people. I mean, God said, okay, human race, listen up, pay attention, got some commandments for you. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't sleep around, don't commit adultery, don't treat your kids like idiots, do that stuff, just obey those commandments, everything should be fine. We went out and did the opposite of everything God told us to do, not to do. We just went out and we did it all. What did God do? God looked, after we... After we did everything he told us not to do, he looked at us. You know what he did? He thought, how can I help? And he sent his only son to die on the cross to pay for our sin, to pay for the mess that he warned us against. And never once did he say, I told you so. He just said, I am head over heels in love with you, and I'm going to help now let's pick up the pieces and get moving forward. I don't want to disappoint you, but I have done a lot of stupid things in my life. And every time I've been back to God and asked forgiveness, each time he said, I love you, probably a few times he added, I don't know why, but I do, <laughs> you know. And I'm going to help. Let's just pick up the pieces and go from here. But this is what I want you to understand. But then he said, I want you to go out and live your life, and I want you to treat other people the way I've treated you. This message isn't about kicking people out of our lives. This is about staying in a position where we can be restorers because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. I want you to watch a story of someone's life who was restored. Watch the side screens. Thank you.
I spent most of my life knowing who God was, but I didn't meet Jesus until I was 40. 10 years, I was about 10 years old when I noticed something was different about our family, that alcohol was a really big part of it. I started drinking and smoking pot when I was about 12 years old. It was all I had seen, you name it. I was trying to fill my life with anything because there was just so much emptiness there that I never really got rid of. I met a guy who was about 10 years older than me and I ended up getting pregnant. And I went in on Valentine's Day and, and ended up having an abortion. And it was probably one of the most frightening, awful experiences of my life. I ended up meeting a guy who I thought I was in love with, and I ended up getting pregnant again. But we ended up getting married, and it was awful from the start. It was awful from the start. The marriage lasted about two years, and then we split. I ended up going through two more marriages. I felt like I was just trying to fill my life with something. That empty hole that I had when I was little, I was trying to fill with whatever I could. So marriage to me just seemed like the natural answer. I was 25 and I remember my dad coming to me. He had just recommitted his life to Christ. He came to me one day with a Bible in his hands and he said, you know what, Melanie? I really don't want to go to heaven and know that I'm not going to see you there. I remember just being so mad. I was like, what are you talking about? And I threw that Bible down and I don't think I picked it up again for another 10 years. On November 18th, 2008, my dad passed away of a massive heart attack. We had found out a month before that my mom had cancer. And by this time, marriage number three had ended. Everything fell apart. I remember hitting my knees and just saying, God, you know what? If you're real, I really need you right now. I remember saying, you know what? Jesus, my life is yours because I've made a mess of everything that you gave me and I've burned my life into the ground. But you know what? I read in your Bible that you can make beauty from ashes. And so that's exactly what he did. He took all of that mess and all of that awful stuff and started to turn that around for me. And the awesome thing was is I started praying for my mom. I started praying that, well, first, that she would stop drinking, but second, I started praying that God would change my heart towards her. So I think I started seeing it more from her perspective and realizing that I could love her even if things didn't change. Even if she was still drinking, I could still love her for who she was. It's been almost two years now, two and a half years, um, since my mom stopped drinking. And that is a miracle of God in and of itself. She stepped up and she recommitted her life to Christ and God healed her. And 
has been sober now and working incredible things in her life. So through all of this, I now have an amazing relationship with my mom. I have an amazing godly man who loves me more than anything and loves my children that aren't his, but that he stepped up and has taken in to his own life and said, I'm gonna raise these kids as my own. Probably the best thing that I have is that I get to go home to heaven and see my dad. And he doesn't have to wonder whether or not I'm gonna be there next to him. Because he never, throughout all the time that he was committed and I was walking away, he was loving Jesus and he was loving me and I was walking away from him and he had to watch his child do all of these horrible things, these self-destructive things. He died without ever knowing that that was gonna change. I know that there are so many people out there who have to watch their children go through awful things or have to watch a spouse go through awful things or have to watch a friend go through awful things. But those little seeds that you plant, those words that you share today, that love that you extend to somebody else doesn't return void. And the amazing thing is, is that looking back on it now, I can see that God was walking with me all along. That there were times when I felt really, really alone. There were times when I didn't think anybody cared. But I look back on it and I see Him always being there for me, either in the face of a friend trying to share God with me, or my dad showing me what God's love. God was there all along in those people that I met along the way. And those seeds that were planted grew into something amazing that's called this beautiful life that I have right now. And I'm so thankful for it. That's Melanie. By the way, she's one of our staff here at Hope. And the uh, first year she was here, she worked as one of our receptionists. And every day I'd come in to see her bright smile. And I just assumed she spent her whole life growing up in Sunday school and church and Christian home. And, and I didn't know until I watched the video this week when it was prepared, her story. And I thought if there's ever a story of what God can do and how he can take a mess and make it beautiful, it's Melanie's story. Let's bow together. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you need to get connected to your Heavenly Father, you know? Maybe, as we talked about in the message, you've actually hit rock bottom and you're back in church thinking, God, I hope you're here. God, I hope you're real because nothing else is working. I got some great news for you. You're surrounded by a bunch of people who have the same story. Like Melody, maybe different details, but the same story. And we would love nothing more this weekend than to help you connect with your Heavenly Father. He won't scold you. He won't judge you, punish you, or ignore you. He'll just say, how can I help? He won't say, I told you so. He'll say, how can I help? I'm going to encourage you as, you as we dismiss here in just a second. That maybe if that's where you are, you're ready. You're ready to be restored back. Maybe, maybe you've never had a relationship with God or maybe you've gone prodigal for a while and 
you're ready to come back. I would encourage you as, as we dismiss, just stay in your seat. We have small group leaders. We have Stephen's ministry. We have all kinds of people who would love nothing more than to just come and sit beside you and pray with you and just ask you, how can I help? But do not leave here hopeless because there's hope. You have a heavenly father who wants more than anything in the world to restore you. God, you are such an incredible God of love. We're learning that in this series. And right now, I, I pray for the college student or the single who, who's maybe in a relationship they shouldn't be in. I pray for the marriages that are upside down. I, I pray for parents who, they don't even know where their child is right now, much less what they're doing. Show us how to be restored so that we can reflect your love in this world. And Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's not a Christian, may this be the day. And give them the courage to make it, make it known to someone. Whether they stay in their seat, whether they talk to a friend who invited them today, give them the courage to make it known. And we just give you the credit right now, Father, the glory for what I think you're going to do in the hearts of all of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Next week, we'll, we'll wrap up this series. And uh, I hope you'll be back. You guys are dismissed.